You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Summer is still awesome. It's warm outside. You can fall asleep by the pool, yet all lobster colored. And you know, on a hot day, you have that glass of lemonade and, and some watermelon. And ooh, can I, I, my goal this summer is to eat my body weight in watermelon because fitness goals. Um, no, but for me, the, the thing that I love about summer is, is the music. I love just that, that uh, it's a sunny day and you go for a drive, you got the windows rolled down and you are just listening to a great summer song. Now, I got to be careful because I'm about to break into a country song right now, which would be no bueno because I'm not a fan of the country music. It's okay. It's, it's, all, it's all right. Like, God made all of us different. It's okay if I don't like country music. God made some people like country music. He gave some people good taste in music. It's... <laughs> I'm going to get myself in trouble this morning. Uh... <clears throat> No, I didn't, I don't go down this road to, to hate on country music. I did so because I've got the privilege, like Rebecca and, and Rhett and Amos all mentioned, that we are starting a new series this week called Summer Mixtape, and it's going to be all about music. And to me, summer, I just, I, th- I think of it with a soundtrack in my head. All of the fun things that happen in summer, there's always music going on behind it. Now, mixtapes, that should take us back a little bit. Like to a time when the word rewind actually meant winding something and, and you know, waiting there to plus, press the play button and the record button at the same time so that you get that song that you wanted to get onto your, on your mixtape. If, you're, if you are younger in the room, and I know some of you are looking at me going, you're younger in the room, uh, but if you are younger in the room and you don't, you've never actually physically handled a tape, you'd love it. It's all very analog. It's very retro. It would be great. But even if you've never, you know, made a mixtape or handled a mixtape, you know a mixtape. You know, a mixtape is where you take all of your, your favorite artists, maybe, maybe from different genres, different styles of music, and you mash them all together into a playlist that's kicking. And you do it because you need it for some reason. Maybe you're going on that summer road trip. You know you're going to be driving and you want to listen to your favorite songs. Or you put all the songs together that you need to get through a breakup. <laughs> Or maybe you just put one together because you want to introduce one of your pastors to all of the good country music that you're sure is out there. <clears throat> music is what we are dialing into for this series. Specifically, we're going to be talking about why and how we use music in our worship of God. Music is a big part of what we do every week whenever we come together, but I don't think I'd be going too far out on a limb. I admit I'm guessing a little bit, but I imagine that not a lot of us have ever stopped to think about why. You know, music is one of those parts of our worship service that if you think about it, this whole group singing thing, it's kind of weird. Whenever you're going to invite somebody to come to church with you, it's probably the part you feel the most need to like get them ready for. Like, so we're going to come in and people are going to be standing at the door greeting you. They'll say, hey, they're really nice. And, and oh, there's going to be coffee. That's good. And oh, the preacher, man, Pastor Matt, he, he speaks to me. He, he says some great stuff, you know, really, really feeds my heart every week. And oh, yeah, by the way, we're all going to stand up and we're all going to sing at the same time. And some people are going to put their hands in the air and some people are going to close their eyes. And please don't freak out. Still come, please. Like, we, we almost feel like we got to apologize for it. And, the, okay, this is not being judgmental, but just laying all cards out on the table. 
it's the part of our worship services that we would be most likely to opt out of. Like either by rolling in a little late or by heading out a little early or maybe just by not really participating. You know, worship through music is that part of our service that sometimes, not every, sometimes, we look at it like, well, you know, it's that optional entertainment that happens before, you know, the real reason I come for church. You know, the, the message and communion and that stuff. And again, I don't, I don't want us to start giving a bunch of judgmental looks to people. I know that I, I, I am a dad with three kids, four and under. I understand that sometimes you just don't make it in as quick as you thought you were going to on Sunday. And I know that, you know, grandma's 99th birthday is right after church and it's two hours away and we're just trying to squeeze everything in. I don't want to be a church that starts like giving judgmental looks to people who are, who are coming in late or walking out early. That's not what this is about. But what I'm saying is that sometimes, sometimes, or maybe for some people, they don't see, we don't see the, the value, we don't see the priority in the music part of our worship services. And then I think some of that comes from us not having a good understanding of why we do this. So that's what this series is about. This series is all about the why and how we use music in our worship of God. It's about why people have been using music to worship God, singing and playing instruments, even dancing before God for thousands of years. This is about why you could go to a church service in, in, in any place, in any church, in any country around the world, and there would be some element of musical worship of God. We want to have a better understanding of this. Did, did you know that the Bible contains over 400 references to singing? And, and I'll admit, I'm, I'm quoting an author here, and I trust that he did his research, but it's got 50 direct commands to sing. The books of Ephesians and Colossians instruct us as the church to sing when we gather together. It's us gathering together when we sing, we are obeying a direct instruction from God. Now, what's it called when you don't obey a direct instruction from God? Sin. Sin. And so to opt out of singing whenever we gather together would be what? Some of you said it, not me. <clears throat> now, to be clear, I, I don't want anybody to hear anything wrong in this series. Music is not the exclusive way to worship God. We worship God through learning. We worship God through generosity. We worship God through serving. Romans 12 tells us that anytime we give up something for God, anytime that we live our lives differently from the world for God, it is an act of worship. And so I don't want anybody hearing me say that music, when we sing together, that's the only way to worship God. But lifting up music in praise of our God is one of the major ways that we worship him when we gather together. And we're hoping in the series that we can give all of us a fuller understanding of why it's such a big part of our church experience and why music is really a fantastic tool that God has given us to praise him. And fortunately, God gave us an entire book of the Bible to teach us how to worship him through music. So through this series, we're going to be looking in the book of Psalms. And we're going to be looking at the different ways that they did worship in Psalms. We're going to be using it to sort of build our summer mixtape. 
Because if you read Psalms, you'll see that it's all about this idea of different authors, different genres of music, different themes, all mashed together to grow us in our worship of God. I mean, have you ever been reading the Psalms and you'll, you'll be reading one and it's, it's all celebrate, praise God, God is good, thank him for what he's done. And then you flip the page and it's like, life is the worst. My enemies have surrounded me. I'm drowning in a flood. Kill me now. You're like, get this guy a Zoloft or something. What it, it, it explains that there are different ways of worshiping God, that, that diff, different people see worshiping God differently and that we can, we, there, there's so much to it. And so we're going to be looking at the Psalms with the goal of enhancing our worship of God through music. We know that music is going to be a part of what we do together every week. We're going to be obedient to God in that instruction that he has given us. But my prayer is that for all of us, it becomes so much more than something that we're like, well, yeah, it's just the singing time. Or, well, yeah, it's the music part that I just, we just kind of got to get through. It's not really my thing. But that by the end of it, all of us would say, man, this is a great opportunity to worship God. My prayer is that through this series, we would become better worshipers. All right, that's the introduction. I am setting a Pastor Matt-level pace for myself this morning. Some of, you, uh, some of you may be wondering, okay, what's the deal with the different music genres? You know, the blues and love songs. You know, what's, what's, uh, what's up with the genres of music? Well, we're, we're using these different genres each week to sort of, sort of frame the different styles of music that we're going to find in the Psalms. We're building our mixtape. We're, we're, we're looking at these different genres and, and, and correlating them to things that we'll see in the Psalms. So this week, we're talking about the oldies. Any fans of the oldies in the room? Some? Few? Okay. All right. So as I was getting ready for this week, I, I asked the question, how old does a song have to be to become an oldie? Because, you know, when it first started on the radio, it was pretty much exclusively songs from the 50s and 60s. But the further we get away from those decades, they're lumping more of the 70s in there, and some people to the depression of some of us are putting 80s music in as oldies now. If you, if you want to get a good conversation starter at lunch today, just, out, just throw out to the table, hey, what makes a song an oldie? Well, there's something about a song that makes it a song that you want to hold on to. Like if these songs were garbage, we wouldn't be listening to them decades later. There's, there's some level of staying power that these songs have that we want to, we want to keep listening to them. And, and maybe it's just a catchy tune, or, or maybe, it's something, maybe it's something deeper than that for us. But we want to hold on to them, and, and, and part of what they do, these old easy songs, is that they help us to recall the past. You know, for the, for the generation that these songs were listened to, uh, you know, before it could become an oldie, the song had to be a now e. It has to be part of your present before it can become a part of your past. And it had some sort of impact on the generation it was written for that made them want to hold on to it. And, and you know this, and maybe it's not even an oldie, but have you ever heard a song, like a song comes on and it immediately transports you back to a moment in the past? Like you hear that song and you just are immediately back in high school. 
Or you are right back to, to the first time you danced with that girl. Or you're driving in the car and it brings you back to that breakup and you just start crying in the car. And you're like, stupid radio? Because it was years ago. Music has a powerful effect on our memory. And there are times, not times, there's all the time, but I am just in awe of God as a designer of human beings. You know, God, he wants us to worship him. He's given us music as one of the avenues to do that. And he created us, giving us music with this incredible tie to our emotional memory. The ability to, to bring us back, to pull us back to a moment from the past. Worship music, like oldies, worship music exists to help us recall who God is and what God has done. This is one of the reasons why we use music and worship together every week. The psalmist, they got this. They would use music to proclaim the salvation history of their people. They would use it and take it as an opportunity to all speak out loud together. This is who God is. This is what he has done to emotionally draw them back to those moments that God had been faithful to them, that God had been good to them throughout generations. They told their stories through music. They used this music as a device that could just pull them right back to the first time they experienced those emotions with God. Look at with me at Psalm 105. I'm going to read the first seven or so verses, and then I'm going to give you a quick overview of the next 40 and show you how the psalmist was doing this here in Psalm 105. They would sing, Give thanks to the Lord and proclaim his greatness. Let the whole world know what he has done. Sing to him. Yes, sing his praises. Tell everyone about his wonderful deeds. You see here how music is the way that they, they help proclaim who God is. Exult in his holy name. Rejoice you who worship the Lord. Search for the Lord and for his strength. Continually seek him. Remembers the, remember the wonders he has performed. His miracles and the rulings he has given. He's talking about using music to remember Remember what God has done, you children of his servant Abraham, you descendants of Jacob, you chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His justice is seen throughout the land. He always stands by his covenant, the commitment he made to a thousand generations. They're using music to proclaim that God is just, that God is faithful. And then they go on in this psalm, if you've got it in front of you, you can look, that they sing about this covenant he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They sing about how God protected this nation when it wasn't more than just a big family, how he kept them from being oppressed. They sing about how God provided for them by sending Joseph into Egypt and by having him go through the trials he went through so that he could help them through famine. They sing about how God allowed the whole nation to, to thrive and grow in Egypt until they became mighty. They sing about how whenever the time was right, the, God turned the Egyptians against the Israelites so that they could go free. They sing about how God sent Moses to, to perform the, the, the plagues so that the Egyptians would let the Israelites go. They sing about a story we should all be very familiar with after our last series. They sing about how God was faithful to them in the desert, providing them manna and quail and even water from a rock. They sing about these things and then they just finish with a line that doesn't even seem like it justifies what they've been singing about, but all they can say is praise the Lord. They sing. The Israelites would sing these songs 
It would take their collective national conscience right back to the faithfulness of God on behalf of their people. It would would remind them about how he had saved them. It would pull those emotions out that we have a faithful God. We have a God who can be trusted. We have a God who has come through for us. They sang about the important, the most important moment in their salvation history, which was being rescued from Egypt. It's the reason why today, whenever we sing in worship songs, we beeline it in our songs towards the cross. We sing about the most important moment in our salvation history. It pulls us right back to Jesus dying on a cross for our sins and giving us the chance for eternal life. And we sing and and we remember We worship through music because truthfully, we all get down. I mean, we come into church some weeks just beaten up or busy or preoccupied with everything else going on in the world that we're not, we don't have our minds on Christ. We sing, we worship through music because music is so powerful in pulling us back to knowing that God is great to remembering those moments when we first realized that we needed Jesus, that he saved us, that he came through for us in the biggest way imaginable when he died on the cross. We sing to worship him. We sing to be able to say as one unified voice that God is good, that these are the things that he has done. God gave us this music to help us remember. He gave it to us so that we had a way to express it. He gave it to us so that we would praise him. All of this, it it speaks to music's tie to our emotional memory. It speaks to music's ability to bring out old feelings in us, to take us back to, to previous moments in our life. But music is also tied to our practical memory. And what I mean by that is that it is literally easier to remember things when they are put to music. There's something about our brains that song help us, don't just help us to recall certain times in our lives. They actually imprint to help us in our brains recall specific words much more easily than those that aren't put to music. Have you ever ever found yourself singing a commercial jingle that you hadn't heard in years? I'm going to need a little audience participation here. The best part of waking up is... Give me a break, give me a break, break me off a piece of that. Five, five dollar, five dollar. It's infuriating, isn't it? You can't remember your kid's birthday, but you can remember that stupid sandwich deal. Music has a powerful effect on our practical memory. God is an amazing designer. God created music to work this way with our brains, and I think that that was his heart in having us worship him through music. I think that was the heart of his instruction found in Colossians 3.16. Look at this. It says, let the message of Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. 
Now, this is one of those moments where I think our NLT translation has done something that it makes sense because it's kind of the way we look at it, but I don't think it does the best job at getting across what the author wants. See, it splits this into three different ideas. Let the message about Christ fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all wisdom. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It's like three different things that you're supposed to do, which is sort of how we look at it in our church services. You know, we've got the part where we hear from the Bible, you know, the teaching, the message part, and that's over here. And then we've got the music part, and that's a separate thing that happens over here. I want to show you this in a different translation. I want to show you this in the NIV and show you how the idea actually is one much more fluid than this. It says it like this in the NIV. It says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. It's this one unified idea that the message of Christ is something that becomes more ingrained in us. It becomes more imprinted in us whenever we are taught and then whenever we use music. That we may remember a lyric from a worship song before we even remember the Bible verse that that lyric was talking about because of the way music sticks with us. Music isn't the only way that we're supposed to be taught the Word of God, but it is a powerful tool that God has given us to imprint His truths, to be taught, and to counsel each other with what He has for us to know about Him. It's a way for it to ingrain in our minds. In fact, Music is probably the way that Pastor Matt from now on should be saying the big points he wants to get across. He should probably from now on be putting them to music. You be sure to tell him that when you see him next. It's just amazing how awesome God is. He instructs us to worship him together through music, which is this device that is so powerfully tied to our emotional and practical memory. It helps us to remember who he is, that feeling of what he has done, and it helps us to remember more specifically about him, the things that we've been taught, the things that he wants us to know. Music in our worship services, it's anything but entertainment or filler. It is incredibly practical to our worship of God. For those of you who, who maybe don't love the musical aspects of service or who it's not your favorite thing to stand up and all of us sing together, hold tight to this practical nature of worshiping God. You worship God better when you use music as a part of it. You can recall his truths better when music is a part of it. We get to say, we get to speak the truths of God out loud together when we don't opt out of the musical part of our worship. It's this incredible, incredible tool that God has given us to worship him. All right, one other thing I want to point out about worshiping through music, and I want to go back to the oldies for a second to use our, you know, use our framing device for this week. You know, while an oldie, or a song from your past, it might evoke a certain emotional reaction from you. Oldies have an entirely different impact on the next generation or on future generations, those who weren't around when they were written. You see, I was born in the 80s, but I didn't experience the 80s. Like, by the time I got to, to school level, the 80s were over. But 
I appreciate music from the 80s. I enjoy music from the 80s and from the 70s and from the 60s and the 50s, for that matter. But I don't experience those songs. When I hear a song from the 60s, you know, I don't experience it the way somebody who was alive during that time would have because I was not yet a twinkle in my mother's eye. And so it has a different impact. It doesn't make me remember something, but it's amazing how songs from the past can teach me something. You know, songs serve as powerful storytellers. One of my favorite classes in college, I was a history major, and I took a history course called Society, Culture, and Rock and Roll. And we affectionately referred to this class as the history of rock and roll. But what this class really was, it, it, it was the subject history. It was a history professor, and he'd taken this class, which I know a lot of you in the room, history was probably not your favorite thing. It was probably a subject you didn't like very much. You thought it was boring for some reason. And he'd taken this, and he had turned this into a cannot-miss experience. Nobody missed this class. We ate it up. Because he used music to tell the modern history of the United States. He used music to tell us, hey, these were the things that were going on in the time and in the culture. This is a way that you can better understand what was happening in the world. Music has this ability to tell us stories about the writers and about the time that they were writing. And, and whether it's speaking to, to simpler times of, you know, soda shops and sock hops, or whether it's speaking to, you know, protest songs and, and calls for peace, or, or whether it's talking about way too much denim and hairspray, whatever it is, music has the ability to teach about things that you didn't experience, but that have impacted you nonetheless. Worship music helps us to teach the next generation about God. Our kids, our grandkids, they might not yet have the experiences to recall the faithfulness of God in their own lives. They may not yet have experienced it for themselves, but they can learn about it through our songs. And in the Psalms, God instructs us, and I'm going to say he even warns us, to recite the truths of God to your children so that they might know him and not turn away. I want to look at Psalm 78. Psalm 78 almost serves as the flip side of the coin to Psalm 105. They speak to so many of the same events, so many of the same experiences of the Israelite people, but they are completely different in their tone. Listen, again, I'm going to give you the first eight verses, and then I'm going to give you an overview of the rest. This is what they sang in Psalm 78. Oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I am saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past, stories we have heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so that the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And they, in turn, will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful. 
refusing to give their hearts to God. So instead of a call to worship like what we saw in Psalm 105, here we get a warning, sing, worship, tell future generations so that they do not forget God's mighty works. And then in this psalm, they go on to sing about how the Israelites didn't keep God's covenant even after the plagues on Egypt, even after the parting of the Red Sea, even after the water from the rock in the desert. They sing about how they kept on sinning and they didn't keep God's covenant even when he was merciful and forgave their sins. They sing about how they kept on not trusting God even after he gave them food from heaven. They sing about how they kept rebelling against God even after he brought them into a land of their own. And the purpose of this song is clear. It's don't let your children and your grandchildren forget those things that God has done. Don't let them be like the people from the past. And you know how you keep them from missing out on who God is? Sing it to them. Sing them these truths. It's not the only way. It's not, it, it's not, it doesn't even have to be your favorite way, but it's an important one. Tell them the truths. Speak the truths of who God is and what he has done. Songs about the cross of Jesus, songs about the grace of Jesus might ingrain in our children long before they ever recognize their own need for a savior. Songs about, about worshiping God for, for the, the way he provides for us in the storms of this life, for, for worshiping God because he is our solid foundation. Songs like that, they, they might stick with your grandkids well before they've experienced any storms of their own. But how much better off will they be for it if when they do recognize their need for the cross, they do recognize their need for grace they're pulled right back to that song that they were taught by their parents and their grandparents. How much better for them when the storms of life do come that they can recall the faithfulness of God. Maybe they haven't experienced it on their own, but they know it because they've heard it. Church, this is, this is very practical, even for those who don't like music. And I'm going I'm to say something, I'm gonna, again, I, I have to ask us, be very, very watchful in your heart about being judgmental towards others in this. There are lots of reasons why somebody might not be singing in a worship service, so what I say next is not about us evaluating anybody else, this is about us evaluating our own hearts. But I've had my heart broken in worship services, and not just once, this, is, I, this has happened on more than one occasion, where I have been watching, and I'll see a family sitting together, I'll see a kid sitting with their parents, and we'll start the musical part of our worship time, and the kid will start singing, and they'll look over at their dad, and dad isn't singing, and the kid stops singing. Having served in student ministry, I can tell you that we are, in fifth and sixth grade in particular, we are raising a generation of young men who stand silent during worship because that's what they have seen modeled by their daddies. Or because they have had it shown to them that it is more important that you are concerned about what other people around you are doing than taking the opportunity to speak the truths of God. Than taking the opportunity to let those truths imprint in your mind and on your heart. This is very practical, church. 
I know that not everybody loves singing. I know that not everybody thinks that they are a great singer, that they feel like they can, they can be a part of that, but music is one of the ways that we're taught. It's one of the ways that God emotionally pulls us in. It's one of the ways that we remember, but it is also one of the ways that we teach. It is one of the ways that we pass on the faithfulness, the trustworthiness of God to others to proclaim it to those around us, especially, especially speaking the truth to the next generation. And while there may be some good reasons not to sing during worship time, just not liking music or not liking to sing, I don't think it's one of them. There are some very important reasons, very good reasons that God has given us to sing, to speak it, to say it, to raise our hands, to be a part of the musical worship of God. We're going to have an opportunity to do that now. Before we go into communion time where we stop and we recognize Jesus and his work on the cross, we're going to have an opportunity to sing about our salvation history. We're going to have an opportunity to sing about what Jesus has done for us and remember all that he has done for us and to proclaim it to everyone around us, to our kids and our grandkids in the room, the faithfulness of God and the work that he did on the cross. So will you please stand as our team leads us in worship.